Alrighty, well, we are in a two-part series. We're going to wrap up today. Fits perfectly with the old timeline for me to uh, to go off to uh, 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 India, and we're just uh, um, really excited about that. Uh, the title of the series is "Is Real Lasting Change Possible?" Now, I mentioned to you last week that this is the time of year. There's something about January where we hit, want to hit a reboot on our lives. It's a, it's a new year, and you're like, this year, you want to set some new goals. I know one of my goals that, that I'm setting is that I will not eat any broccoli this year. Amen? <laughs> I'm doing well on that one. Now, everything else, I'm... No. But uh, I'm going to... Uh, or uh, liver and onions. I will not eat liver and onions this year. I'm fasting from that. Now, a lot of us have, uh, have made uh, resolutions this year. It tends just to be human nature for some reason. I'd like to go back in time history and ask them if they did it back then, but we always talk about that. And one of the most frustrating things as a Christian is this. Most of the time, we know what we need to do. We know what we need to change. And so we make a decision, you know, this year I'm going to do this. I'm going to be better with my attitude. I'm going to be better with what I say. I'm going to try to eat less. I'm going to try to exercise and all these kind of things. And we really mean it with all of our heart. And then we go about two or three weeks into the new year, and they say that most New Year's resolutions are broken by about the first month. Okay? And so we get frustrated and we say, is real lasting change possible in my life? Now, obviously, exercise is good and all these other kind of things. Uh, but, but I'm talking about when we really have a sin in our life or things that have just gotten a strong hold on us, stubborn habits that we know, we know, we know we need to change. Is there any hope for real lasting change in our lives. And this is something that I'd prayed a few weeks ago. I said, God, I want to have more victory. I want to have more victory in, in my life. And I believe God answered that prayer by showing me this passage. And as I studied it, and God just really spoke to me. So my prayer this morning is not only will God speak to you, that God will speak to me again while I, I, I preach it and give me insight as I preach it. Now, the answer to that question, is real lasting change possible, is answered in this passage, which is well known. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed changed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And last week we focused on this first part of that verse. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. We said the first principle, and this is right out of God's Word. This ain't my sermon. This is His sermon. This is God speaking, and He says if you want to have real lasting change, it starts off when there is a total consecration, a total cleansing, a total forgiveness, a total submission, an absolute submission of everything in your life over to God. That's where it has to start. And then we said there's the manner by which we, He says it, because He said, I urge you. He begs them, do this now. 
The manner by which He says it. And then there was the motive by which we obey it. Because the mercies of God. Because all that God has told us in Romans 1 up until now, because God's been so good to us, it ought to be the number one motivating factor to do what He's saying. Because of all God's done for us, all God's given to us, the motive is mercy. Then there's the means by which we achieve it. And the means by which we achieve it is that no longer do I sacrifice a sheep or a bull on the altar. Now God tells me to call upon the altar and say, All that I am, God, is yours. And here's the thing with the living sacrifice. It always wants to crawl off, don't it? Sheep don't crawl off sacrifice. Bulls don't crawl off sacrifice. They're dead. We're living. And so it's up to us every day to say, I'm on the altar. Because it's only then can the change happen. Many of us try to change without doing this. And you won't change until there's an absolute consecration. Listen, if the consecration is not absolute, you cannot change. If it's not a total surrender of your life to Jesus, you cannot change because you're trying to do it in your own strength instead of God's strength. And it starts off with that total consecration. Look at this, look at this quote I saw this week. Repentance isn't the final step in change, it's the first step. <laughs> so that's what we talked about, just the first step. It's good, but many people, how many of us have walked down an altar and said, oh man, Lord, I need to change this in my life. Oh God, you know, I'm struggling with this. And so we give it over to God and we repent, but we fail to do step number two that I'm going to talk about today. Here's step number two out of that same passage. And, <laughs> number two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now I want to show you a few things that this passage tells us to do. And so, as, as I preach it, re, you know, watch the words up there that you see me, because I'm going word by word, okay? I'm going to put the principles down here. Here is the main principle again. There's got to be total consecration. We talked about that. But something must happen. There must next be a spiritual transformation. It's spiritual. It's not you. Something has to happen to transform you when there is a spiritual transformation. So let's take a look at that this morning. The first thing uh, this passage tells us, I mean, this is right out of the passage. It tells us what we are not to do. And that is to be conformed. To be conformed. It, it means uh, the, the Greek word here kind of has, comes from the word we get scheme from. There is a scheme that Satan has. He wants us to follow a wrong pattern of thinking. And the Bible says right here, don't do this. Don't let this happen. Now what I'm going to do here is I'm going to take this word conformed and let's just pretend like it's some kind of a, a, like a nut or something. And we're going to crack it open, okay? Let's crack open that word for conformed. And here's what it tells us in the original language if you um, uh, study what it's saying. 
That verb there, being conformed, is what we call in the present tense. It means this, you are being conformed now. But don't do it. You're already in the process of being conformed to this world. From the moment you are born, we're born sinners. All of your life, the world is trying to conform you into its way of thinking instead of God's way of thinking. So it's already happening. It's a present tense verb. It's a passive voice, which means this. Whether we realize it or not, we're allowing it to happen in our lives. We are allowing the world to conform us to its way of thinking. It's also in the imperative mood. An imperative is like, stop! That's an imperative. And it's, a, it's written in the negative sense, which means this. What's this? In the King Jeff version, all right? We're all being conformed to this world. We're allowing it to happen. Now, we got to stop this process. That's what he's saying. I love... Uh, Weist was a Bible commentator, and uh, here's what he said. He, he would take Greek words, and he would make his own little translation out of it. And here's what he said. Stop assuming an outward expression which is patterned after this world. An expression which does not come from, nor is representative of what you are in your inner being as a regenerate child of God. What does that mean? You ever had a child, good kid, you know, or a good grandkid, and, and, they're just, and all of a sudden they just do something and you're like, why would you say that? Why would you do that? That's totally out of your character, okay? Here's what God says, listen... For you to be conformed from the outside of this world, he's saying, stop it. That's not who you are now. You don't have to be conformed from the outside in anymore. You're a child of God. And he said, don't be conformed to this world. That word world there is not talking about the physical world. It's not talking about the world of people. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's talking about a system of thinking. When we, when we were, the Bible tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins according to Ephesians chapter 2, and we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So here's the deal. You were born with a mind, but it's a messed up mind. Spiritually. Your, your, your mind, there is a virus, like a computer. There's a virus you're born with. And that virus is that you will automatically be squeezed to do what this world system opposite of God thinks. And, and so Paul said, don't be conformed to this world. Um, uh, it is a way of looking at life and living life that is contrary to the Word of God. Let me give you an example of worldliness. Now, normally when we think of worldliness, we think about, you know, we're going to go around and wear, you know, whatever the latest fashion is. Uh, th that's not worldliness. I mean, that may be a part of it. But let me just uh, read to you some, uh, some explanations of worldliness and how the Bible says don't do this. Uh, there is worldly philosophy. 
Worldly philosophy is this, that man tries to explain everything apart from God. He tries to say, well, here, man says, well, here, here's why we're here. You know, this is what the meaning of life is about. And they totally reject what God says life is all about. That's worldly philosophy. And Paul said, don't buy into that. Um, the Bible talks about in, in Colossians about don't be taken captive by empty philosophies. Then there's worldly science. Now, science is a good thing, and true science will always back up what the Scripture says. But there is a science today that is taught not as a theory, but as an absolute fact. And that fact is this, is that there is no supernatural, that it's all natural, that if there is a God, He just started, wound it up like a clock, and He's letting it go, and God is not intimately involved in human events or the course of events, and God is not... Uh, does not do miracles, and if it isn't proven in a test tube, then it's not real. That's worldly science. There's worldly government. Thinking, boy, we've ever seen this. People look to the government now to solve all of their problems. There's that worldly idea of, of government. There's worldly amusements. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to a, a football game. My son, you know, he's uh, my... Uh, my uh, cousin, God bless her, God blessed her and her husband big time. And they love Jay, my son. And they got him tickets to the national championship of Georgia. So he is traveling today up to Indiana and uh, going up there to see the Georgia game, all expenses paid, hotel, everything. And as Peyton would say, Peyton said, I love rich, generous people. Okay. <laughs> So thank God for my, for my cousin. There's nothing wrong with him going up there. I like him, him going up there because um, hopefully uh, he'll see a, a win out of that. That would be uh, tremendous. I will be on the airplane. Can you believe it when Georgia is in the national championship? I hope y'all pray for me. Put this down on the prayer list that I'll be able to get internet connection to, to see him on the plane. But anyway, nothing wrong with world amusements unless it takes over your life to where you're just running to that all the time to try to push out your problems. And that some people, listen, even Christians can get so consumed with worldly amusements that they can make that an idol in their life. There's worldly religion, primarily liberal theology that tries to soothe man's conscience and tries to excuse away God's judgment, heaven and hell and consequences for sin. Hendrickson, who is a uh, commentator, he said this. He defined worldliness as the use, also, as the use of dirty or offensive language, the singing of scurrilous songs, the reading of filthy books, the wearing of tempting attire, engaging in questionable pastimes, associating on an intimate basis with worldly companions. And here's what God says in 2 Corinthians 6. 17, therefore, come out from among them, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. Then he goes on to say this. He says, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Therefore, having these promises, Paul said, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Get rid of the, com the 
world conforming you. You've got to stop this process. Can I tell you something? In our lives today, the process of worldliness is already at work. We've got to learn to stop it. That's where change begins. Phillips, um, a Bible writer, he, he, he translated this passage this way. Stop letting the world squeeze you into its mold. So, that's what we should not do. Here's what we should do. See, Christianity is not just a bunch of don'ts, it's primarily a bunch of do's. So we are not to be conformed, we've got to learn how to stop this process, but we can't just stop it and leave it there. We've got to do something now. We've got to be transformed. Be transformed. That word uh, transform, uh, the Greek word for that, and this is important, is metamorpho. Does that sound familiar to any English word you hear? Metamorpho? It's metamorphosis, right? And that's where, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the proverbial illustration of that is, is the, uh, you know, the, the worm in the, in the cocoon, in, uh, in the, and, and then it, it goes through this thing of where it breaks out and turns into a butterfly. And this is no accident. The Apostle Paul is using that same kind of verbiage to describe the way God changes us. He doesn't change us from the outside in. He changes us from the inside out. Be transformed. One of the things the Pharisees tried to do is they tried to get everybody to conform to their religion. You know, they were like, you should dress this way, you should act this way, you should do this thing. And that's what religion does today, primarily. You need to cut your hair. You need to wear your dress this way. You need to... It's all outside. And listen, as important as some of that is, obviously, listen, God's more concerned about your insides than He is your outsides. Because when you get your insides right, the outsides will take care of itself. When uh, my best friend came to know the Lord, before he did, you know, when I rededicated my life, you know, he was into Satan worship and stuff like that. I'd bring him to church with me. He started coming to church. He had hair down to here. He looked like a witch doctor. That's the way he looked like. He dressed in all black, long black coat, hair down to here, everything like that. And I'm sure there were some people thinking, what's he doing bringing in somebody like that to church? That God needs to cut his hair. Well, you know what? He got saved and got right with God, and I didn't have to go begging to get his hair cut. He got his hair cut, and he cleaned himself up, and he wasn't wearing that black anymore like he was wearing because he was transformed. Uh, Larry Crabb wrote a book when I, was, uh, when I was in Bible college, and it was a famous book, and it was called Inside Out. That's how you change, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. How do you do it? What should we do? We've got to be transformed. That word uh, transform, let's take that, that word and pop it open and crack it open. And here's what it means. The transformation must be continual. It's present tense. This is something you can't stop doing. Just like the world is constantly trying to conform you, in order to combat that and make real lasting change in your life, you've got to be constantly doing this to counteract that. It's in the passive voice Meaning this, that when I do this, when I do this, it's God who does the changing. When I do this, when I stop being conformed and we do some other stuff, I'm going to tell you right here, 
God does the changing. God does the changing, not you. Uh, And it's in the imperative voice, which means this. We are commanded to do this. This ain't an option. All of us here are commanded to do this transformation process and allow God to do it in our life. So what should we not do? We should not be conformed to this world. we got to stop this process. What should... What we should do is we need to be transformed. Now, the obvious question is this. How should we do that? Okay? How do we practically put ourselves in a position where God can transform us? And the answer is the renewing of your mind. So look at the verse up there again, up at the top. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And what this means is that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God to change your thinking in order to change your behavior. I want to read that one again. That's important. When it says you got to start doing something, renewing your mind, this is your part. It's that the Spirit of God, when you read the Bible and you meditate on the Bible... The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and it changes your thinking. And when your thinking is changed, your behavior changed. I want to read that again. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God, which you are chewing and meditating on. It will change your thinking, and then when your thinking changes, it changes your behavior. Now here's how this works. When I was uh, younger, one of the things I clearly remember as a boy is sometimes getting stung by yellow jackets. Woo! That hurts, okay? There was a place in our backyard where it was just a little hill that went up to something else, and there always seemed to be a hole in that ground. And if I wasn't careful, I was near that hole. There were yellow jackets in that hole. They'd come out and they'd sting me. And I remember Dad so clearly doing something. I don't know if this was dangerous or not. He put some kind, I don't know if it was lighter fluid in there or gasoline in there or not, but take out that nest, okay? I kind of wonder, sometimes I'd like to go back over to where I live and see if that hole's still there. I don't know why he didn't fill in the hole, but it's just always there, and I knew that's the yellow jacket hole, okay? They built a nest in that hole. Satan is a master of finding holes in your life, and building nests there. That's those stubborn habits. That's those things we really have trouble changing. And so we got to just do something with those holes. We can't just sit there and go, my goodness, that's a stubborn habit. <laughs> we got to do something. What do we do? We renew our mind. We, we take the truth of God and we stick it in that hole. And we flush out the bad thoughts that make us behave in ways we don't want to behave. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the body, the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. For weeding out Satan's beehives in our brains. 
we are destroying, that is actively destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive, the little bees, <laughs> every thought captive and bringing it under submission to Jesus Christ, His Word, His truth. Now let me give you as practical as I can be. In military, they have things called cluster bombs. Have you ever seen that on a war channel or something like that? Some airplane flies over something, and all of a sudden you just see a bunch of just bombs just blowing up, these little small bombs. Covers a big wide area, okay? Let me tell you what God is, you will use as cluster bombs to keep your mind from not being conformed is when you make a commitment, every day I'm going to read God's Word. Every day I'm going to... Make an attempt to read three or four chapters every single day. I think it is if you read three chapters a day, you'll get through them in the Bible by a year. There's so many ways you can do that now on your phone, and you know I can show you how to do that. But I've made a habit for several years. I read a book called The One-Year Bible, and there's two chapters of the Old Testament. There's a chapter through the New Testament. There's always a psalm and a proverb. That way I don't get stuck. You know, It, it keeps it kind of fresh. I do that every single day. You know why I do that? It'd be much easier sometimes I'd like to say, well, I'm just going to camp out in Ephesians for a while. But I do that because I'm cluster bombing, filling my mind with truth, having the mind of Christ, renewing my mind, reprogramming my mind. Listen, listen. The Bible says, Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. That is, cleanse them in the truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. You need to wash your brain <laughs> every day. Read this every day, every day. And when you don't even feel like it, it's still doing its work, whether you realize it or not. You're washing your brain. You're starting to think biblically. But then there's sometimes, though, when those, not just a little yellow jacket here and a yellow jacket here and a yellow jacket here in, in your brain where the carpet bomb gets rid of them or something, but sometimes there's those nests. How do you get rid of the nest? You memorize a verse that fits with that. That's what I would call the heat-seeking missile. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, if you're going after a terrorist... You don't necessarily use a carpet bomb. You find out where that joker is and you put a missile on top of his head. And that's what you've got to do with these real strong, hard habits. And what God is showing me is you've got to put a missile on it. The memorization of a specific verse of Scripture. How do I know that? Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. David said, I've taken God's Word, a verse, and memorized it, hid it in my heart. So why? So that I may not sin against thee. So I can make a change in my life. Can I tell you something? I'm good at carpet bombing. But God has talked talk to me through this. I need to be more specific about memorizing verses where the beehives are in my life. For instance... Problems with lustful thoughts or immoral behavior. Listen to a couple of verses on this. Job 31 verse 1. 
Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Listen to Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. In some ways, I kind of stumbled upon this by accident recently. In preparation for my mission trip, and I'm teaching two brand new courses I've never taught before, I have flat had to have my nose in the Bible for about two or three weeks, nonstop. And you notice, I noticed something on the side, I didn't realize. Man, I tell you what, my thoughts are a lot better. <laughs> my, my victory in the Lord's a lot better, you know? And uh, I, I, I don't because it, 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 it's supernatural. It's living and abiding the Word of God. And you know what God said to me again? He said, you don't just think about it by day, but you think about it by day and night. Remember what he told Joshua? He said, uh, be strong, courageous, don't fear, be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you. Only be careful to meditate on my word day and night. It's like food. You can't just get up and eat breakfast with the word of God. You got to eat lunch. You got to eat dinner. You got to get a midnight snack. Amen. Just keep eating. And that's what brings the transformation. In our lives. Now, a problem with forgiveness. Memorize a verse like this, Ephesians 4, 26-27. Be angry and yet do not sin. It's okay to be angry, but don't let it dwell in you. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not let, let the devil have an opportunity. Don't let him build a nest. Memorize this verse, Ephesians 4, th uh, 32, if you have a problem with bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just like Jesus forgave you and you don't deserve it. They don't deserve it, but you don't either. Forgive them. My sister uh, taught public school for many years and somehow... When it was time for her to change her class or to move her class, the whole family had to get involved, whether we wanted to or not. And one of my assignments from teacher Judy, my sister, was I need you to take this piece of furniture, it's painted teal, and I want you to paint it brown. And I didn't know too much about painting, so I just got out of brown paint, painted right over that teal. Do you know what? We've got that teal shelf in our house right now. She gave it to us. They were trying to get rid of a lot of stuff. And do you notice what I've noticed on, on that thing I painted brown? Blue spots are showing through it. Because you know what I did? I made a mistake. I didn't strip off the old. I just tried to put on the new. Here, here's the deal. When we make a life consecration, we said in step one, we strip off the old. Then we're ready to put on the new. And you can't have change in your life if, if you just try to put on the new. And you can't have change in your life if all you do is just strip off the old, just leave it there. you got to put, put a new coat of paint. That's the renewing of your mind. Repenting, renewing. Repenting, equally renewing. I like this uh, quote from Tozer. Here's what he said. If I look at the world, I will conform to the ways of the world. But if I look at the Word, 
I will conform to the will of God. Ooh, listen to that again. If I look at the world... I keep this book closed and I just view life around me and I listen to what people are saying on TV and stuff like that. I listen to people who don't know the Lord. If I look at the world, I will conform to the ways of the world. But if I look at the Word, if I renew my mind, I will conform myself to the will of God. Now here's the last thing. Why should we do this? What is the motive of this? It's to know God and to do His will. See, the reason you ought to seek change is not just so you can give up something that's being a pain pain to you, a pain in your neck. The reason you ought to want to change something is because you know it's not God's will and you want what's best for you in your life. That's why we should do it. Look what it says up there, okay? Let's look at the verse again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. What's the reason? So that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. It means that we may know God and do His will. The word prove here means to prove by testing. In a few years from now, our RAV4 out there will probably kick the bucket. Or it'll start costing us so much money, it becomes a money pit. At that time, it's time to go get a new car. I dare not say, just bring me a car over here. I'm going to go to a dealership. I'm going to get in it. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to ride in it and see if it's quiet enough, if it gets good enough gas mileage. I'm going to go down the road, and I'm going to prove that thing. And the Bible says, listen, when you get renewed in your mind, God will prove to you three things. That the will of God is good. The word good has the idea it's what's best for you. There was a book I read one time on the will of God and it was called God's Best for You. What is the will of God? God's best for you. That's what it is. It's acceptable, which means this. God accepts it. God is pleased by it when you live according to His will. And it's perfect, which means this, it's complete. It doesn't lack anything. It's everything you should be. it should be. When you begin to prove the will of God for your life and you live according to His will, it's not like you're going to be going, well, pfft, this wasn't what I expected. You're going, to, you're going to say, man, this is awesome. This is awesome. No wonder God told me to do this. It's it's perfect. It's everything it should be. Listen to what uh, one writer said. No plan of ours can improve upon the plan of God. We only see bits and pieces. He sees the whole. We only see fragments of the past. We, We measure things by the narrow horizon of our present vision. He sees past, present, and future in its total context as it relates to eternity. He sees when, where, and why we touch the lives of others. He weighs all action. He controls all circumstances. His will is perfect. When He says for us to do something or or live it a certain way, it's because He knows it's what's best for you and for me. So, 
Let's pull it all together. Let's pull it all together. Here we go. Let's pull it all together. <laughs> all right. Is real lasting change possible? Yes. But we got to do what he says to do in this passage. There's got to be that total consecration. Surrender our lives completely to God. That's what it means. Spiritual transformation. He does the transforming by the renewing of our mind. Listen to Renewing our minds by the Word of God. It's that hard, but it's that simple. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your powerful Word. Thank you, God, for teaching me as I prayed for more victory. And God, thank you for showing me I think of it as the secrets of victory, but it's not really secrets. It's in your word. I pray, Father, you'd help us all to not forget this, to really start putting this into action. I pray, Father, for many people here today to make a commitment. Every day, I'm going to read at least 15 minutes of God's word. I'm going to try to read three or four chapters a day. Maybe two chapters in the Old Testament, two chapters in the New Testament. But I'm never going to stop doing that for the rest of my life. Matter of fact, I'm not going to look up. Matter, I'm going to look toward the baptistry so I won't even see this. Okay? But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm looking toward the baptistry right now. How many of you would make a commitment for the rest of my life I'm going to spend at least 15 minutes a day in God's Word if you'd raise your hand, okay? Starting today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Every day I'm going to spend at least 15 minutes of my life reading God's Word to carpet bomb those things in my mind which are not pleasing to God. All right? Now here's another thing. And don't say this unless you mean it. God spoke to me about being more intentional about memorizing His Word in those areas that I struggle. How many of you would make a commitment and say, I'm going to find me a verse that matches my strong sin, and I'm going to start reading it, chewing on it, studying it, learning about it, and recall it in my mind. How many of you would make a commitment? Raise your hand that I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start memorizing Scripture that fits my place where I need to change. Now, all of what I've been saying cannot take place in your life unless you're born again and you're saved. We're talking about stuff that is supernatural power. If you're not saved, you don't have that capacity to have that power. So is somebody here need to be saved here this morning? This altar is opened up for you. I think we've all made a decision of rededication uh, this morning in our own hearts, but maybe publicly somebody wants to share something about how God spoke in their life or maybe just an altar prayer here. Father, we do ask that you'd help us to remember these things. Help us to never forget these things. And most importantly, help us to practice these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.